Thank you everyone for joining us today. I am Angie Coleman, Senior Conference Coordinator here at ISACA. Joining me today is a very special guest, founder of the Rubicon Advisory Group, Ed McCabe. Ed, why don't we start off with a small introduction of yourself so the crowd knows who you are, what you do, and a little bit of your background. Absolutely. So a little bit about myself. Uh, so I'm presently living in Columbus, Ohio, home of the, the, the famous OSU, Joe Buckeyes. And while I, I currently and presently live in Columbus, I've lived all over the Midwest and Southwestern United States. And, and I don't know if that was because I was in witness relocation growing up or, or if mom just liked to move around. But I'm an Iowa farm boy at heart, uh, as that is where most of my family is from. As to my, my background, uh, I came up within the industry, starting within the Department of Defense within the United States Navy. And from there went to the, the private sector in the early aughts to where I'm at presently, which is the founder and consultant at the Rubicon Advisory Group, where we help organizations tackle business problems relating to information security, as well as being an authorized training organization for ISACA. Great. How exactly did you fall into this industry? What got you started? What made you interested in, in just following the path that you are at now? Oh, saying that I had a path is, is my, my <laughs> wife would disagree with having a path. Uh, she, she keeps on calling me Peter Pan. She's like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I, I would say I got started off in the industry uh, when I was required to go to high school in, in California for and, and I say that because I was homeschooled for a lot of my life. So one of the requirements in California was that that you go to high school for social acclimation. Uh, as I'm sitting here in my office, I see how well that succeeded uh, in the basement. But it was in high school that I got introduced to one of my instructors, Bob Hoskins, who, who was the high school electronics teacher. And he was one of the few individuals who actually pushed and challenged me. And I remember we were working in the class. We were We were doing all sorts of things from from soldering to circuit design, amateur radio, running a broadcast uh, uh, FM station. And, and then one day I got invited to help them roll out these new computers for the schools. Uh, this is back in the, the mid to late eighties and help them get them set up for the school. So understanding how they could connect to one another, how they would communicate and potentially do other things like sending messages across the entire campus for the entire school to see from some unknown terminal that will remain nameless at this time. <laughs> That's great. So just reading a little bit of background on you, you have been in the industry for over 30 years, obviously doing a variety of different uh, industries, both private and public. What would you say is the most important thing that you've learned in your professional career? And on top of that, how would you say that it changed your life, either for the better or for maybe the worst that was something that you thought was great and you just had to pivot it once you learned it and realized it was taking you down the wrong path? Ooh, so so one of the, the best things that I learned uh, is, is from a soft skills perspective, and that was the ability to actively listen, understand, and empathize with somebody to deal with, with and address their issues and problems. Initially, as, as a young IT professional, I would often attempt to develop a solution before fully understanding the problem that, that needed to be solved, because IT technology saves everything. Uh, as it turns out, it accelerates failure at a logarithmic rate. Additionally, I, I often would have a tendency to, to assume that the individual I was talking to had the same level and depth of understanding that I did. So one of the best things I learned was to push the stop developing, stop solutioning, stop talking and just listen button, which in turn allowed me to be less frustrated and get around and 
get to ground on what the matter actually was that that an individual or an organization was facing. From a technical perspective, one of the things I, I learned that, that has helped me grow is that failure is probably the best instructor that you can actually have and that it's okay to, to mess up as long as, as you learn from it. Those would be two things from a technical and a, a soft skill side of the house. Great. And then just to go a little bit on the soft skill, what was the path you went down to just really learn how to successfully do that? Because I think that is all across the board, something very difficult to just stop, listen, and realize that you may have to just explain something from the ground up to somebody. So what is just some skills or some paths that you went to to really hone those skills that could possibly help some future professionals or up-and-comers into this industry? So this has been more than a few years and (laughs) and probably in that decade range. Um, I had a, a couple of colleagues that I was working with at the time that that strongly encouraged me to attend a Dale <laughs> Carnegie class, uh, resulting in me getting, you know, adding Dale Carnegie as a, a member on my taxes every year. Um, but it was was institutions like that where um, there was a structured approach to how to effectively communicate. Other venues included things like Toastmasters, um, being asked to present at conferences. Uh, was another one, and and working with the staff, whether it was speaking at our former CACs summits or the Nexus programs or DerbyCon or what have you, that would force me to sit down and say, okay, this is the message I want to convey. How's the best way to make sure that that folks will understand it? And then whipping open the the ever tried true uh, Dale Carnegie book to make friends and influence others. <laughs> gotcha. So. Obviously, throughout the years, there's a lot of mentorship on your end for various people in the industry. Uh, When you're mentoring them, what is something that you wish that you knew as your younger self in this current profession that you're in that you might tell them or even any advice that you might have for somebody that's on the fence about getting into the security industry? Ooh, uh, (laughs) what would I tell my future self? (laughs) Um, or my, my past self, my younger self, as you were so kind enough to point out, because I am, (laughs) I guess, technically legacy now. Um, I I think it's something that somebody shared with me and and that is that work is not a rabbit. It's not going to run away from me. My work ethic, I I tend to be a workaholic by nature. Like I will go sit down in front of the, the computer on a Friday and my wife will come in and be like, Hey, it's Sunday afternoon. Let's go out and do something outside while there's sunshine. I'm very passionate about what I do. I always enjoy learning. And, and I'm one of those people that's fortunate enough that my hobby became my career, as it were. And as such, I, I tend to blur the lines between what is work, career work, and what is professional learning or, or skills advancement in, in my area. I think the biggest thing that I would say is work is not a rabbit. Take time. Make time for yourself. For those coming in for, for the next generation, for the love of all that is holy, please understand that technology doesn't fix the problem. It only compounds them. Uh, it's people, process, and technology in that order for a reason. We want to make sure that we invest in our staff, that we train them, that we get them engaged, that we empower them. One of the things that, that I will tell you as I've <clears throat> been in the industry for, uh, how long did you say, Angie? A long time? One of the things that I have thoroughly enjoyed in recent years is the the ability to empower the the folks that I work with and let them show me the way that they are approaching it, bringing in that ability to gain a different perspective. 
to let them steer the direction that they feel it needs to go and then being there to support them if they need it. So I'm going to take it away a little bit from um, the up and coming uh, generation of security professions and get into one of what may be my favorite question to ask you. What is a commonly held belief about this role that you passionately disagree with? Ooh, oh, you're going to hit on, <laughs> on one that I like. So in general about this, this role as an information security practitioner, it has to be that X technology is going to save us, right? There is no royal road. There is no silver bullet. There is no turnkey solution. It, it requires a commitment not only from the practitioner, but also the organization to affect change. And as well as a lot of work that may not be fun. You know, a lot of the times folks in technology love to play with a blinky box. We like to collect toys, but the majority of organizations and practitioners that we work with fail to achieve just the basics, right? Basic network hygiene. Uh, a, a colleague of mine is, is uh, here in Columbus. We have an ongoing joke about, you know, doing the basics like, you know, asset inventory or, or egress filtering, things that aren't necessarily attractive, but but which establish the foundation. And these require good old fashioned elbow grease in order to accomplish them. But yet, you know, a lot of people think, well, this salesperson said that their technology is gonna solve my problem. And that's, that's not the case. Tools are not necessarily an answer. Tools are a method to achieve the answer. And then let's flip this around a little bit. What is something that you passionately agree with that the mass of individuals in this role may disagree with? I, I think one of the biggest ones is, is I have a lot of folks that, that tell me that, that you can't effectively do risk management uh, like and in, in quantify risk management or quantify all risks, which is really interesting being that there's an entire industry associated with assessing risk and, and quantifying risk. But yet when we talk about something like information technology or threat actors, there's, there's apparently no way to, to quantify that. Although from what I have seen, this is changing dramatically in, in our industry and not necessarily specific to our industry, but across all industries as, you know, boards are wanting answers to better understand the risks that they're facing. However, a lot of people still feel that, that you cannot quantify risk. My next question is, what is something that you think everybody in this industry either needs to stop doing or they need to start doing? So from a stop perspective... I'm going to have to go with stop focusing purely on the technology and tools, right? Tools do exactly what they're supposed to do. And, and if that means that they've been misconfigured or, or not properly deployed, it, it's not the tool's problem. What we need to start doing, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is, is understand our role within the organization and how we help them achieve their strategy, meet their goals and objectives. A lot of folks in, in IT or information security or cybersecurity tend to focus in on, on the technical components, whether that's managing a SAN, hosting a, you know, managing a, a cloud tenant, what have you, but, but they can't actually articulate what they do for their organization. One of the things that I would definitely say we need to do better is, is learn how to communicate more effectively in terms that our audience, and in most cases, our audience is, is the business, so that they can actually understand. I can say as a, a security practitioner, we get it. Technology is attractive. It's, they're really good at it. But if a practitioner cannot convey 
or properly articulate what the risk is or why I need to be concerned about something, I think that's a fundamental flaw within our industry. We like to talk about bits and bytes, but what does that mean to the business at the end of the day that views IT the same way they may as, as marketing or sales? It's, it's another tool in their arsenal. Very true. So with the current landscape that you work in, if you had an extra million dollars in any of your budgets, how would you spend it and why? Oh, this is a loaded question, but one I actually have a, <laughs> a good answer for, uh, especially since we're coming, maybe coming out of a pandemic. So with the pandemic, one of the things that we saw was a, a huge shift in, in the workplace. So we went from corporate environment to, to work from home. For us, our workload increased across the board with a number of our clients, because now instead of just testing or, or looking at one location, now we were looking at several hundreds or thousands. So that, that's an easy question, because what I would do is give all of our folks like a, a six, 12, nine month, all expense paid vacation um, and, and let them roll. Because, you know, the pandemic pushed us to extremes, not only professionally, but personally as well. And, and I can say, honestly, you know, I'm I'm very blessed with the team that I have, because never once did any of our folks shy away from their responsibilities, the works, what needed to be done. We had clients that were in need and our folks rose not only to meet that need, but exceeded those expectations a lot of the times. Some of our folks were impacted by the pandemic from catching COVID, but once they got recovered, they were right back to work. And never once did they, you know, bemoan the fact that they were trying to help others because of, of what we were going through globally. That's great. So you do a ton of stuff for Isaka throughout the years. How did you begin working with Isaka and how long have you been working with Isaka? So since we're being so general, uh, so it'd be in the mid, mid early, mid 2000s. I, I'd been working with various chapters uh, across the globe. And, and I actually got introduced when I hit the pinnacle of my career back in the early aughts, where from a technical standpoint, I had architected one of the largest networks that, that the Marine Corps had at the time. And commercially, that that's great but there was something lacking. And a friend of mine who I was living at the time down in North Carolina had introduced me to one of the ISACA events. And that got me interested because now I started seeing some of the things that they were promoting with the chapters since about early 2000 with international, probably 2014. So just shy of a decade, maybe. Still one of the best people that we always try to have on our programs. And we greatly appreciate all the work that you do. So I just want to take the time to say thank you for that. Speaking of your work with ISAC, I know you're an accredited trainer for us. Uh, you've done, like you said, chapter events, global events. You've done our training week programs as well. What are you currently teaching? Uh, well, and then on top of that, what was the process like for you to get accredited? So, so at present, as as an ATO, we offer you know the core core the core program. So CISA, CRIS, CGUIDE, CISM. SIDIPSI is still pending, although we're looking at doing that, as well as the, the COVID foundations. For me personally, when I went through the accreditation process, I, I must say it was a bit intimidating. And this is predominantly because I, I suffer from, from horrible test anxiety, and that's how I viewed the accreditation process. Like, okay, I've got to get everything ready. Uh, so having to formally demonstrate proficiency and, and mastery of, of each of the, the subject areas, and then having somebody question me brought up a slew of those feelings of what if I get something wrong or, or should I answer this way or that way? Or, or how, how should I do that? It wasn't terrifying, but at the same time, it was like, I was 
I was intimidated uh, and and somewhat torn because I've been doing this for so long. I really love being a trainer. Um, and and for me, I was like, okay, now I'm being tested on on something I've been doing. So kind of to piggyback off of that, say there is somebody out there that is just like you. They've been doing this. They know what they're doing, but they have to get accredited. What would you say is one piece of advice that might calm their nerves a little bit when going into the accreditation process? I, I would highly recommend avoiding any adult beverages before the interview. No, um, Always a good thing. Always a yeah. good thing. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's one of those things of, you know, take time, make sure everything is clear. I mean, you've been doing it. Uh, and, and this is where I was getting inside of my own head. I've been teaching Seagitism, Searisk for, for a number of years prior to the actual requirement to become an accredited instructor. So I knew the content, I knew the material, I got inside my own head. So, so the best bit of advice is don't get inside of your own, own head. You know what you know, go for it, answer the questions uh, and, and just be yourself. I think that's great advice and obviously can help in many other avenues than just the accreditation world. So next on that, on everything that you either teach or even the certificates you have, because you do have several from ISACA, if there was a young professional looking to get certified, what would you say might be the best first certification to look at? Or maybe not even that, but what do you think out of all of our new certifications might be something that is beneficial for anybody in the industry to have? So one of the, the things for coming into the industry, and one of the things I did for, for our staff here at the Rubicon is the COVID 2019 foundations course, right? Get a basic business understanding of information technology and business alignment. That is by far one of the best things that, that our folks do because they go into our engagements. And, and the first question that's always forefront on their mind is, is what we're doing aligned with the business goal? And, and if not, does it provide any value in what we're doing? From a consultancy aspect, I, you know, the, the C guide, the C risk are probably the, the two certifications that, that I would say help enable business understanding of, of some very complex issues at times, whether that's, you know, data management and, and ensuring conformance with regulatory requirements like CCPA or GDPR, how they're handling data or, or how to protect the organization with the, the ISM and building actual information security programs. A lot of the times, uh, historically, I know when I first got into the industry outside of the Department of Defense, you know, I had a great set and background in information security management. However, it was always viewed as something that had to be done, not something that that needs to be done. So we had a lot of folks that would treat InfoSec as the redheaded stepchild and put us into the basement with the IT folks. But at the same time, you know, what we're seeing now is that there are severe ramifications and impacts to organizations that that have not taken information security seriously. You know, in 2022, I'm very fond of saying that most organizations in 2022 are IT companies that provide some type of service, meaning that you can be a bank, you can be a hospital. Uh, the key litmus test is if you if you lose your information technology, can you still function as a business? And And if the answer is no, then then welcome to 2022, life as an IT company. So next question uh, for you is, the industry obviously has changed over the years. What is your best suggestion for making the industry better 
either now or even moving forward that can really help guide up and coming generations to assist in making that change and making the industry better for all. Ooh, how to make this industry better. Uh, don't eat your young. Um, a lot of times, you know, I see this on a lot of social media platforms where people will take a hard stance and understand that there's always more than one side to the story than, than we know. You know, in business, there is no such thing as being cut and dry. It's very, very uh, layered. You know, one of the things that I think that would make the industry better for, for new generations, uh, always seek to learn more and not just about the technology. Understand what your business actually does. Understand the environmental or, or social aspects of what the organization means to that local community or that, that organization. Understand the organization's culture and their ethos. Great. So to kind of piggyback off of that, uh, with the industry and the current trends, news and information, as a leader of the industry, you have to keep on top of that information. Um, how do you stay on top of what's coming next? And also, how do you just self-educate so that you are always just staying at the top of your game and are on top of any new challenges that you might have to face? Oh, uh, so one of the things that, that I do is, is we do a... a regular lunch and learn where we're, we talk about up and coming trends, topics, things that we're seeing. Given my personality and believe it or not, I, I started out life as an introvert, like most IT professionals may have been, uh, but the Navy taught me to be an extrovert. So so when I hear something or you know somebody says something and I find it of interest, I'll reach out to them and I'll call them up, which usually they get freaked out. Like, you know, well, how did you find my number? Oh, I work in security. You know, it, it's one of those things to stay on top of all the different trends when it comes to information security or or even a niche area within information security can be extremely difficult because when we talk about information security, it's such a broad spectrum, right? You have areas of access controls. Uh, there's an entire industry within information technologies around access controls. Uh, there's all sorts of different niche areas. So, so staying on top of all of them is nigh impossible. So find the ones that, that maximize the efforts for the organization. Now, I, I tend to stay with the very basic areas as, as far as you know the, the basic fundamentals of information security as they pertain to information security of a client's information, customer information, data privacy, and then anything outside of that is on an ad hoc as needed basis. But but I will tell you, it's it's challenging at times, especially when you start talking about trying to maintain a work-life balance, right? My wife has told me more than once at one, two, three o'clock in the morning that I need to go to bed, but I'm I'm researching something or looking into something. So for me, one of the things, like I said, is is I, I go back to the basics of information security. So confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And and then anything that applies outside of those core tenants, then I start doing additional research as needed. But it's it's difficult to stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. Especially in an ever-changing world that obviously the last two and a half years, as you've mentioned, has definitely changed that with the going from working in office to going at home. You have a lot of new security challenges that you have to think about and address. So definitely staying on top is not always the easiest. It, it's it's truly not. 
So you've mentioned a couple of times that you're a workaholic and your wife likes to remind you of that and having to take a break. What makes you feel so inspired in this industry? What just keeps that drive going for you? I would have to say it's it's something that I, I learned from, honestly learned from my mother. Uh, one of the things that, that my mother taught me in addition to, to question everything uh, was to to always get the answer. So I always had that innate, you know, sense in me that, that says, well, why does this work this way? Or how does it work? One of my earliest memories was taking apart my uh, grandparents' heirloom grandfather clock to find out why it wasn't working. Uh, as, as it turned out, my grandfather had an, took, took exception to that. Um, but it, it's always one of those things. It's always been that questioning of why, how, you know, what does it do? What is it supposed to do? What is it not supposed to do? Can I push it to to the limits in, in some instances? So just a, a question based off of that. Did you put the grandfather clock back together um, or did it just end up in pieces after that for a while? So not to toot my own horn, but to, to toot my own horn. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I did manage to put it back together and it actually did work. I, I also was introduced to uh, the, the notion of a switch, which at the time, you know, childlike mentality of pick the thinnest switch. Um, and as I found out, those are painful. So the next time I had to go cut my own switch, I brought back the tree. Um, so some lessons are easier to learn than others, but as long as you learn from it, that is, I feel like, what all matters at the end of the day. I, I definitely learned. But it, it, it was always that, like taking things apart and, and finding out why they worked the way that they did. It just so happened that my my area and my affinity of, of attraction was in electronics more than anything else. So things like like computers, networks, telephone systems, th those are things that, that I naturally just sort of gravitated to because, ooh, it makes sense and it challenged me. That's great. So one of my last questions for you, which is another one of my favorites, is if in 150 years science fails to save us and all that is left is a book about your life, what would the title be? We done goofed. <laughs> uh, I think 150 years of, of science failure is, is optimistic. Um, <laughs> I mean, one thing that I've seen with the pandemic uh, is, is, you know, we have this, this romantic notion that, you know, if we get invaded by aliens, humanity will come together and, and fight off the, <laughs> the alien. Uh, the reality is uh, the pandemic showed us that, that we, we are horrible people. So I, I think it would be, we done goofed. No, that's great. So I do want to thank you very much for, uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, if listeners want to learn more about you or connect with you, how can they? So they can always stalk me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm good with that. That's that's kind of cool to have like a stalking group. They can reach out to me via the Rubicon Advisory Group. Uh, it's it's a very long name, but it's it's really easy. It's edward at the Rubicon Advisory Group dot com. They can usually find me uh, in any number of, of conferences or, or whatnot. But yeah, I mean. I can give out phone numbers, <laughs> headshots, you know, three by five glossies. You know, remember those from school? <laughs> With your autographs on it, though, you have to make I, sure to autograph it. <laughs> it, 
it, it's funny because my wife can actually sign my signature better than I can. <laughs> so we know who to go to when we need it. Perfect. Well, Ed, thank you so much. You and I could probably talk for hours, which is always a pleasure to interact with you, to see you, to speak with you. Uh, but unfortunately, that is all the time that we have left. So once again, thank you so much for chatting with me today. If you're interested in learning more about Ed or the Rubicon Advisory Group, please click the link in the description below. Once again, my name is Angie Komen, and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us today. Angie, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.